Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Lashing Out Podcast on an Indie Sports Now Network. I'm joined by Kevin Quigley and Joe Smeltzer, and I'm Jared Pergar. Gentlemen, the Land Grant Trophy is back in Happy Valley. It returned. I was one point off in my prediction. I had predicted 41 to nothing. It ended up 42 nothing, and it was the most complete game Penn State has played all season. It was dominant on both sides of the football. There was confidence on both sides of the football. And that's something that really hasn't been seen nearly all season. Yeah, and this is the second game without offensive coordinator Mike Yersich, the second game with Jay Sider and Ty Howell being at the helm. And the offense had wit. It had depth. It had levels. It had unpredictability. Teams couldn't sell out to stop the run because Drew Aller was passing the ball well. And if he if they sold out to stop the pass, then they just started running the ball. And it was just that game made you think what could have been. Absolutely. Um, and that's I think that those are the perfect uh four words uh to describe uh, and that that's uh that's not negative, I don't think. Um obviously Friday was a positive night for Penn State football, but um Kevin, you said uh, before the Rutgers game, uh, I was skeptical and I was openly skeptical on this podcast about how we'd be able to tell um, how much the offense had changed without Mike Yersich because of the level of competition. Rutgers is obviously not as good as Penn State, Michigan State. <laughs> what They stunk. Uh, we can <laughs> do a separate episode on that. Uh, definitely not at Penn State's level. But um, and for that reason, I was thinking, you know, okay, they've scored a bunch of points against bad teams before. What would be different about them scoring a bunch of points this time? Well, uh, Kevin, you said before the Rutgers game, you said, well, we're going to we're gonna be able to tell by how the offense scores its points and what's being done. And that, was, that wasn't really on display against Rutgers like we thought it might be. That was definitely on display against Michigan State. I think a big problem with Penn State is that there are times when I genuinely believe that the one and zero mindset is bought in too much, at least offensively. I think that on offense, there were times this year when um, the mindset seemed to be, okay, uh, we had the edge against these guys. Let's not overthink it too much. Let's just do what we do. We don't need too many wrinkles. We don't need to put that much on tape for Michigan and Ohio state to see. Let's just, let's just get it done. Let's get the job done. And then we'll start to really open things up when the bell rings in those big matchups. Well, that wasn't the case Friday. Uh, we saw Omari Evans shine on a 60-yard pass. We didn't see that all season. We saw Nicholas Singleton really start to look like last year's self. And Nicholas Singleton looked, I think, the best he has in the receiving game maybe ever at Penn State. We saw both running backs go for 100 yards. We saw Drew Aller throwing the ball deep, looking confident, not relying on checkdowns, making plays happen. There were deep balls I think he threw that weren't caught, but he was really um, not to uh, not to intentionally use what's become a battle cry, uh, if not a bit of an inside joke all season. He really did throw the ball deep, I think, more than he had all year. All of that was on display, and I think, yeah, Penn State has scored 30-plus points against bad teams plenty of times. Scoring 42 against Michigan State at face value isn't all that impressive, but the way they did that was very impressive. And, Kevin, I think you were absolutely right. We were just a week late in seeing it. That's a really good point, Joe. And it, it wasn't that they beat them. It was how they beat them. And they beat them. They 
they smothered them to death defensively. Um, another team held under 70 yards, uh, which is yet again impressive for a Division One football team, regardless of who they're playing. Um, Michigan State has undergone some turmoil. They just hired a, a new football coach from Oregon State, Jonathan Smith. Um, you know, common name. They hope for uncommon results there now in East Lansing. But Drew Allard looked like the five-star quarterback we expected him to be. And that's something that we really hadn't seen since West Virginia. They used the middle of the field. The tight ends were involved. The running backs, we've mentioned the running backs, getting them involved in the passing game. And it it just kept Michigan State on their heels. They didn't know what was coming. And honestly, the game probably should have been a little bit worse. You know, you had the two field goals at the beginning of the game that should have turned into touchdowns. Uh, could have been touchdowns. They had a missed extra or mixed field goal as well. So you're looking at this game could have easily been 56 nothing. It could have been, you know, in the 60s or, or what have you. And that's what Penn State does to bad teams. Michigan State is, of course, a bad team. But, of course, the two games that they didn't do that were Ohio State and Michigan. And those two teams played in an instant classic in Ann Arbor uh, over the weekend. And we'll talk about that later in the show. But the biggest thing is they kept defenses on their heels, and that's something that they uh, that they needed to do. Uh, I thought J1 Sider and Ty Howell played a really good game. And even when they brought in Bo Perbula, it wasn't as though that thwarted the offense. It, it, it didn't seem like it was going to – it didn't seem to be a, a hindrance. Like we remember the Levis or the Warren Cat or or whatever, um, or even going back to the, to the Tommy Stevens packages uh, of years prior – Those packages, when they came into the game, it seemed like they slowed the team down and it was just kind of eh. But Bo Prabula's package seemed like it was was pretty fluid. Yeah, and Franklin said in his post-game presser, I didn't notice this right away in the press room, but he said that they had emphasized the Prabula package over over the last two games, which, I mean... We can probably put two and two together there. Well, and, and think about this. We, we talk about this all the time, and I talked about this uh, on the Behind the Curtain podcast in the pregame show. James Franklin mentions and, and has a message behind every every word that he says. Every For how many weeks did we hear at Beaver Stadium James Franklin talking about the package, the two QB package that they have, they just didn't use under your sitch. So the writing was literally right there on the wall in the Beaver Stadium media room. We have this package. Why don't we use it? And it seemed like, you know, even in Drew Outler's comments after the game, they kept it simple. That's all you need. You just got to keep it simple. You can run complex route trees, complex patterns, but if you just keep it simple and keep your play calling simple, I think that's the recipe for success in Insider and Hal found that. Yeah, and just how different was it? Penn State on, scored on their first drive for the fourth time this season. The other three were Maryland. Delaware and the first game of the season, West Virginia put up only 408 yards against UMass, 541 against Delaware, 586 Friday night against Michigan State. Just totally dominant on offense. 10 plays of 20 or more yards, two 100 yard rushers in the same game. They'd had one all season. That was Katron Allen against Delaware. And I believe that was only like 103 or 108 yards. Like this offense just. It wasn't predictable, and that's where Yursich kind of got bogged down of like, I have these two five-star running backs. I got to use them, and they just pounded sand all day long, and it didn't work. What happened on, I think, 
it was Catron's big run uh, inside the 10 after the Jalen Reed interception. The whole offensive line moved right. There's a cutback lane left, and Catron busted for, what, 50, 60 yards down the sideline. And, like, that's just how it started. And, like, instead of just running the ball straight left, they had some counteraction to it. And it's just stuff that wasn't – you know, it's there. Like, that's a day one football play. That's just power O with a cutback. Like, just hit the line and find the hole. And that's what they weren't doing under Yursich. And they finally do it. What's the next OC do after this? I don't know. Is it going to be J1 Sider? After a performance like Friday night, it you have to think that he's got a legitimate shot. Yeah, Franklin's interviewing people uh, yesterday and probably today and maybe into Monday. But like after a performance like that, that's only two weeks the helm of the offense. You've got to think that maybe I was thinking maybe he wouldn't get it after after the Rutgers game. But after that game, you could throw away Michigan State's record. They're four and eight. I get it. They're a bad team, but to put that many explosive plays to be that complete of a performance. And they had a chance to score on their first four drives of the game. Like the offense was not sluggish coming off the ball, coming off the bus, which they've been the entire Franklin era. They've been slow coming off the bus. They got it there. They hit it hard. Just a pure domination. Yeah. And you got to think that J one is doing the bulk of the play calling and then no disrespect to Ty Howell at all. We see the tight ends, have been strong for his entire tenure. I definitely think he has a big role um, in uh, the offensive game planning, but J1's been there longer on staff. Uh, you know, I think he had that co-OC title before Ty Howell did, if I had that right. Um, he's probably a little higher up the fruit chain because of seniority and because of, um, I think, the running backs coach might be a little higher up than the tight ends coach. Again, no disrespect intended at all towards Ty Howell, but uh, Franklin hasn't revealed it, but you, you got to think that J1 is the main guy calling the shots game day, right? Yeah, I think he is the main play caller or the only play caller, I should say. Yeah, it would be really interesting to figure out that dynamic and how they do things there. I mean, you saw him away from the team down the field. Typically, that's where he's getting a better look, a better angle uh, for calling those plays. But whoever it is, if it's if it's Cider, if it's Ty Howell, they did a great job. They got guys into conflict. They got receivers open. They had, I think they had 10 different receivers that they hit um, between Drew Aller and Bo Perbula. The running backs were a big factor in the game, and that's exactly what they were. And the biggest thing, and we're going to hit on this a little bit a little bit more in the second half, but they got two big commitments from Drew Aller and Nick Singleton, Nicholas Singleton uh, as for next year. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that here in the second segment of the Lashing Out podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast. They're Kevin and Joe, and I'm Jared. Like we ended the first segment, Drew Aller, Nicholas Singleton committed to Penn State for 2024. It's really bizarre that we have to have this conversation because they're Penn State football players, and, and both are, the, are very, very good. Drew Aller is, was a former five-star recruit. He was a starting quarterback all year. But there's a lot of uncertainty offensively. Uh, up until... Friday night's game, Nicholas Singleton was not a big factor at all in Penn State's offense. Um, far removed from his his breakout freshman campaign. But now, 
they're there. And they said that they're committed to, to Penn State and to James Franklin for 2024. Whether that's just lip service, I don't know. But that's a really good start to the next step. And that the next step for Penn State is finishing up recruiting for this cycle, figuring out where they're going to go in the bowl game, and then getting into the, the offensive coaching hire. Yeah, and you have to think 186 yards for Nick Singleton. He did get a touchdown. And the long 53-yard catch and run on that bubble screen out wide. That did a lot. That touchdown is worth way more than six points to Nick Singleton. It's the first time he had scored since Indiana. It was just, so there was three games in between his last score between Indiana and Michigan State. Um, just you could see the emotion after he scored, and then at the big long run at the end of the game uh, to get him over a hundred yards. Like the utter just. I mean, you could just tell it's just released a whole lot of just pent up. I don't know, animosity maybe towards the coaching staff or just towards his own performance or lack thereof due to play calling or situations that he was put in Um, and kind of Catron overshadowing him all season long. And he finally said, you know what? Like, I'm still a dude, too, and I'm here. I'm still a five-star running back. I'm still a really highly productive college back. I'm an all-purpose back because I can catch it on a bubble screen and I can run between the tackles and I can catch it out of the backfield or I can bounce it outside and run for really long ways. So really solidified, like showing people that, Hey, I'm still there and I'm still going to be a problem next year. And I think that was also a point of emphasis from the coaching staff is get him a touchdown and get him over a hundred yards. And you could tell that by putting him in on that last drive, because he's going to be an important part of this team next year, if he's here and it sounds like he's going to stay. And with that offensive performance, it just makes it makes 2024 look so much better if he's still in the backfield. Yeah, and I think the reporters that asked uh, Nicholas and Drew those questions uh, kind of did those two a favor a little bit because they it gave them the chance to say, um, hey, I- I'm staying here. Uh, no transfer portal speculation, none of that. And they had the chance to get that all out before the transfer portal even opened. This isn't something they're going to have to worry about full media day uh, anymore, whether it's Penn State's media day or – um, the actual whatever bullpen state goes to that media day, no one's going to ask them about it. Like they could affirm that right after the regular season ended, no speculation there. But um, yeah, I and I, I guess I could see um, how people would have thought, probably more so for Singleton's case, because you know he was frankly Penn State's number two running back for a lot of this season, and there are a lot of places where he could walk in and immediately be the number one guy, no questions asked. So. Um, naturally, and then with the uncertainty of um, the whoever the new OC is going to be um, and whatever would happen there, um, that could create at least some reason to think that maybe this has legs. Um, in Drew Aller's case, I don't think anybody actually thought that Drew Aller was going to go anywhere, but I guess Mike Yersich leaving uh, created like maybe a 5-10% window. But in any case, um, it's good on the reporters that asked them uh, those questions. I wish I had thought to ask, but it's good on the ones that did. Um, so those guys uh, can, you know, get that uh, get that off their chest um, and end the speculation before it even really begins. And that's, it's huge going into, into bull prep, the end of the season, end of the semester. You know, and the biggest thing now is development. And whoever this offensive coordinator might be, the coaching carousel has already taken off and is already crazy. Um, Mississippi State fired their guy and now has a – they've 
we got a replacement for him. Texas A&M has their guy, uh, or so they think, for the second time. Um, crazy last night when Joe went to bed, it was uh, it was Mike Stoops or Mark Stoops. I'm I'm sorry, and that was clear. That was debunked by the time the sun rose this morning. Um, now it, it's, it looks like they have Elko from Duke. Um, Stoops is saying at Kentucky, who beat Louisville, which is a big thing. Um, one of the which is a big thing uh, for Penn State because Louisville uh, kind of is is in a really weird situation given they they're in the ACC championship game against Florida State. If Florida State goes to the playoff, Florida State or that would open up a spot for Louisville to slide in as the highest uh, ACC team left um, and slots them into the Orange Bowl. It looks like. That's something to pay attention to for Penn State moving forward uh, for bull prep. Obviously, Michigan beat Ohio State uh, at, at the end of the game there in Ann Arbor. So nothing really changes for the Big Ten as far as Penn State is concerned. Now It's just now where, where are those teams going to end up? Um, is Ohio State going to be punished for not playing? Is Michigan going to be punished by the NCAA for cheating? Um, there are a lot of variables to figure out here coming up next. Um First thing, I, I would imagine coaching-wise that Penn State will hire an offensive coordinator sooner rather than later, but there's still so much that needs to be kind of figured out around the country coaching-wise. You know, now um, it looks like Oklahoma is in search of an offensive coordinator. Who Who's the better program there? Is it Penn State? Is it Oklahoma? You know, I think that's a pretty good debate. Um, who is who's James Franklin interviewing Saturday and Sunday? You know, I think that would be that would be fun to figure out. Is it Moorhead? Is that is that even a is that possible? Would he would you rather him win that, or would he rather be a head coach making six hundred thousand or making being an assistant and making over a million? And those are all things that that Penn State has to figure out sooner rather than later, as far as coaching is concerned, because recruiting is wrapping up rather quickly here um, to get as we get into December. Yeah, and. If you're Joe Moorhead, you're making six hundred thousand at at Akron, but he was quoted after the season or after their game on Saturday saying, "Hey, like, yeah, we only won two games this year. We see that as an improvement. I don't know if that's him trying to stay off some Akron boosters or whatnot, but if he comes to Penn State, he's probably making one point two to one point five million, and it's probably pretty hard to turn down a two hundred two hundred fifty percent pay raise. Uh, I know if I was offered two hundred fifty percent tomorrow. I'd, I'd probably take that pay raise. You know what I mean? It's it'd be for far to, less responsibility, <laughs> far less responsibility. All you're going to do is recruit offensive players. And he had a lot of success. And maybe James Franklin says, hey, Joe, come on home. You know, he knows he doesn't quite know Jay Wan because there's not the overlap there, but a lot of familiarity there. They're co-offensive coordinators sharing the same responsibilities. You get Jay Wan a pay raise. You get Joe Moorhead a pay raise. And they just share the duties. But I think the most important coaching decision to be made how much do you pay Manny Diaz to keep him on staff blind check you have to yeah. <laughs> I mean is he going to be a DC making yeah. for five million dollars I think that would be worth it in all honesty 100 percent but I mean yeah. looking well, over this like look just looking at the sheer statistics again Michigan State Michigan State beat Penn State recently right in uh, two years ago I believe 68 total yards. They didn't even give up 100 passing yards. Yeah, they, you know, in, in college football, sacks are a part of the running game. 
But even with that, they still didn't sniff 100 yards. Like and they, they had 88 up. pass yards, negative 20 rushing yards, like which of course negative 41 of those came from the the quarterback. But you look at anybody else that ran the football, the the longest the the most yards they they acquired was 38 39 yards uh from their starting running back. And negative eight yards in the third quarter, negative 24 yards of the fourth quarter. Penn State only gave up three points total in the third quarter all season. Sorry, Joe. You can get back to Manny. Yes. Are there any like, – yeah, we, we talked about the uh, head coaching vacancies filling up quick. Um, Are there any out there that Manny would be interested in? I think Duke um, is at least a possibility because he does have ties in the ACC and he can recruit that area. But, yeah, I think the look on your face kind of says it uh, – he wants to leave for a great opportunity. I, I don't think Duke is that, but well, there's still um, a lot like, of uncertainty in the ACC too. You leave, you leave yeah. Penn State, DC as the number one or number. It's a top three defense in the country, right? You don't leave that to go be Duke head coach. He's not Ricky Ronnie. Yeah, and and that's no disrespect I mean, to Ricky Ronnie or Brent Pry, but like. Mississippi yeah. State or A and M probably would have been the ones. Now A and M is toxic as hell, um, but also I don't no, know that a- they want to pay. A and M was not going to hire many Diaz, and I don't think like that, that number, was going to happen. And I don't think they can afford a guy like Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz is going to be, I think, mid tier salary now. Uh, the way that he's performed, yeah. the boosters are who pushed him out in Miami. I don't think that was much of his doing. They weren't great, but Miami is trying to get back to two thousand one Miami. And, and Army fatigues Miami, and that's just not how things work uh, yeah. anymore for, for programs like, like You that. saw how A&M fans reacted when when they thought Mark Stoops was going to be a head coach. You think well, they would Stoops is winning at Kentucky. Thing. He is winning yeah. at a basketball school, which is exactly why Elk is, Elko is the same deal. They're the same thing. They're, they're winning football games at, you know, at basketball schools. Nobody gave a shit about yeah. so, Duke football for the longest time. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit if, about if Kentucky basketball football. If they're reacting that way about Mark Stoops and Manny Diaz has done a great job as a coordinator, but with the way Texas A&M thinks they are, how are they going to react by going for a coordinator in any sense? That, that just, they would have eaten that alive if that was even a rumored thing. So I just, the way Texas A&M kind of goes about its business, um, I just don't think that would have been a realistic fit. And I don't think it would have been a good fit for Manny no. Diaz, especially considering how, how things ended at Miami. So, Yeah, and, and I mean, looking at, at some of the jobs around, you know, around the country now, Houston has an opening. That's not a better job. Um, Akron might yeah. have an opening. That probably isn't a great <laughs> – it definitely isn't a better job. You know, uh, Pitt has an opening, an offensive coordinator. That's definitely not a better Pitt job. Should have a, Pitt should have a head coaching opening. Um, but – you know, you look at some of these situations, Baylor's not getting rid of their coach. Um, There's just so many different things here where there aren't any good openings anymore. You know, Mississippi state, I think had the most promise, but I don't, they went with Jeff Levy, which I think is a dumb hire. He was involved. He is Art Bryles son-in-law. So, I mean, there's a lot of issues there, but for Penn state, it's shoring up Manny Diaz, Although if he's, you know, he's not going anywhere, then, I mean, he still deserves a raise. He still deserves probably a little bit more than whatever he's making now, by all means. 
but keeping him is ultimately very important. Um, but I think, you know, this is, we're recording this on Sunday. There's still that can, a lot can happen on, on Monday as well. But for right now, Manny Diaz is the guy on defense. It's finding that guy in the offense and then getting ready for bull prep and, and who they might face, uh, which, and where they might go. And we'll find that out next Sunday. But yeah, it's, it's going to be one heck of an opportunity for Penn state. Um, they might make it to a bowl game. They might not, uh, but or not necessarily the bowl game. I'm sorry. New Year's six. So it'll be interesting to see where they fall. Yeah. One last thing on Manny Diaz. The only job I see that's even somewhat a lateral is USC defense, defensive coordinator. But then you'd have to work under Lincoln Riley. And I don't know if that would be the best work environment compared to working under James Franklin. Um, and it'd be in the same conference, so it'd be kind of a weird. I think Penn State would do everything in their power well, to make sure he Jim, made more money. Jim Leonard play. is the favorite for that job, right? Jim Leonard yes. used to be at Wisconsin. I think he's the favorite for that job. So, and Indiana, they have another, Tom and Allen. O- Tom Allen got fired. So, yeah, Indiana and, o- and um, Indiana and o- Oregon State, I think, are the top jobs remaining right now. Um, Oregon State, State with the job vacated by Jonathan Smith. Um, Oregon State's in a shit situation with the Pac-12 essentially falling apart, yeah, um, and and kind of gambling on themselves and then it not paying off, uh, and then Indiana. But I don't I don't know that going like Indiana's a tough place to win. Tom Allen did a great job to win there. Um, I honestly, if Manny Diaz goes somewhere, I wouldn't mind a guy like Tom Allen coming in and being the defensive coordinator at Penn State. But speaking of coordinators, we're going to talk a little bit more about some former Penn State coordinators and much, much more when we come back for the final segment of the Lashing Out podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the Lashing Out podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. Kevin was just telling us as we were going live that his water bottle is pure, pure hydration um, during this podcast as he as he slurps his drink um, and gets used to it. Um, speaking of getting wet, though, uh, Brent Pry and Virginia Tech clinched bowl eligibility, which is an awesome turnaround for Brent Pry. That job was not easy when he took over last season. Um, struggled in year one to be bowl eligible and beat Virginia in year two is excellent for the former defensive coordinator and best friend of James Franklin. And we say you got wet because as his team was taking a picture after the game, well, Virginia turned the state, turned the stadium sprinkler system on and got the team wet during their team photo, which is the pettiness of college football rivalries and makes me sad because Penn state doesn't have that with anybody. Yeah. And being a, Central Virginia native being a Central Virginia local at this point in time as well. A lot of my friends, a lot of my uh, acquaintances and coworkers all went to Virginia Tech and they were telling me how bad Brent Bry was. And I said, you, you just got done telling me two years ago about what a dumpster fire Justin Fuente left that program in. And honestly, it was a dumpster fire. I don't remember what Virginia Tech's record was, but they haven't been relevant since Michael Vick left the program. Um, Massive accomplishment, massive win. If you know anything about Virginia, Virginia Tech, 
Uh, it's starting to become a more of a basketball rivalry because Virginia Tech's won like 19 of the last 20 Commonwealth Cups at this point in time. Uh, Scott Stadium, which is where UVA plays, is dubbed Lane Stadium North by Virginia Tech fans. So massive accomplishment for Brent Pry. Hopefully this gives him some sort of momentum on the recruiting trail. Uh, hopefully they can get that program turned around, although I hate to see the Hokies be successful. Uh, only because Virginia Tech fans might be the third most insufferable fan base besides Michigan and Ohio State. So, uh, but that's my Virginia bias uh, in there. Yeah, and not not only did they uh, go six and six this year after going three and eight last year, Virginia Tech started one and three, and their losses were to a bad Purdue team at home by nineteen at Rutgers and at Marshall and Charles Huff. So. Uh, this was not smooth sailing um, all season. Like, for the season end, you're thinking, okay, maybe Virginia Tech's headed to another 3-9, and 4-8 campaign. But um, ever since they lost to Florida State, which literally everybody Florida State's played has lost, um, they've done well, um, Brent Pry has. 5-3 uh, in the Louisville, ACC really is not team. bad. No. Not at all. Um, they got crushed at Louisville, which Louisville was pretty good. And then they lost to NC State, a good NC State team by seven at home. And, you know, obviously they not only beat Virginia, totally embarrassed Virginia in Scott Stadium. So um, great coaching job by Brent Pry, as Jared said, five and three um, in what's a pretty decent ACC conference. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, that program's on the rise. I don't know if they're going to get to – the late 90s uh, Mike Vick, Frank Beamer level anytime soon, but they're definitely headed in the right direction, and Brent Fry is at the center of that. Absolutely, and then you look at a team that they beat earlier that season, and that's Old Dominion uh, head coach Ricky Ronnie. Um, they were down 21 nothing at halftime and came back to beat Georgia State 25-24 to be um, bowl eligible. Um, it's 6-6. Six and six. Uh, they're f- also five and three in their conferences in the Fun Belt. Maybe the Sun Belt is is great. Uh, and five and three in the Sun Belt is impressive. The Sun Belt's got some pretty pretty strong teams. Um, but they scored the way that they won it was incredible, right? Obviously, making up twenty one point deficit is 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 great. But they were down twenty four fourteen with less than two minutes left, and then scored eleven points in the final minute and thirty seven seconds. Um, and to do that, they had to – everything had to go their way. And and I think that's one of those situations, you know, they get a, a touchdown pass. Um, then they get uh, – you know, they, they pick off a pass um, and get that game, uh, you know, within 10 points. And then they end up forcing a three and out late, getting the ball back, and then third and goal with the two. And – um, they have to go for it on fourth down, um, and they end up getting for it. Or I, I think that's how that went. I'm trying to read the recap here pretty quickly um, right now. But, yeah, fourth and goal on the two. Called a timeout with two seconds left. They dialed up a run, scored, and the crowd went wild in Norfolk. And I think that's great for them. But also, I want to bring up, a guy that made some coaching changes today, Charles Huff. He fired his offensive coordinator plus another couple coaches, but yet Marshall is bowl eligible. They had that big win against Virginia Tech, and Charles Huff was the running backs coach before um, 
before J1 Sider, and he was he left with Joe Moorhead to head to Mississippi State and then has bounced around a couple different places uh, since then. But it, it's just one of those situations where now those guys are off doing some good things, and they're in Penn State's and James Franklin's coaching tree is forever expanding. Yeah, and if you look, just go back to Old Dominion. If you look at their schedule of who they had to play and who they lost to, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, lost to Marshall in a close game, lost to ranked JMU at the time, Coastal Carolina, they had a heater a few years ago as well. And JMU Liberty. also bowl eligible. So, JMU, not bowl eligible, but they snuck into going to a bowl uh, per the NCAA because that's how that works. Uh, yes, because not enough six snacks. and six teams, not enough six win yeah. teams. Yeah, and Where I think they have but, eleven. But five and seven and Minnesota. <laughs> what a mess! But anyways, Old Dominion, their program just got restarted again. I believe two thousand nine, two thousand ten ish. They just became F Division one, I, I believe, in 2014, 2015, somewhere around that time frame. So still a relatively new program. Ricky Ronnie, I mean, Old Dominion is a hard place to recruit to, just because. Look who's recruiting that area. Penn State, Virginia Tech, UVA, JMU. A lot of ACC schools, probably in North Carolina, UNC, NC State, Wake Forest. Maryland. Maryland, Duke. A lot of programs are recruiting that area. That that area is a hotbed for talent, especially in the state of Virginia, and they happen to be there. And a lot of kids, if you're at a hotbed for talent and you're a really talented kid, do you want to go to the school 20 minutes down the road? No, you probably want to go to the school that's four, five, six hours away with a little bit a little bit bigger of a platform. So props to Ricky Ronnie. It's a tough place to recruit. It's a tough conference to be in. Tough schedule because the ACC school is trying to schedule you to be there at a conference game early in the season to be your cupcake game, to pay them a million dollars to come get your butt kicked. And they did that twice this year. They lost to two ACC schools. So props to them for getting two six and six um, and winning a tight conference game at the end. Waiting for the day that Old Dominion comes to Pennsylvania and comes to Penn State. For a, for one of those buy games, I think that'd be a great it would be a great thing. I do hope that Penn State does play Virginia Tech. I think that would be intriguing as well. They do, they do. Penn State plays Virginia Tech in twenty twenty five. No, I thought they canceled that. Did they cancel it? They're supposed to in twenty twenty, but yes, yeah. I'm not sure Anywho. how that works, but either way, you know, getting going up against your former coordinators, we see it all the time now in the SEC with. Um, with Saban and his his coaching tree, but it was a wild college football regular season. There's still a lot of craziness left to happen, um, which I think is going to be fascinating. Um, next week, you know, you've got the conference championship games. Um, you've got New Mexico State against Liberty in the co- in the conference USA championship. Liberty is twelve and zero. Um, Oregon and Washington in the Pac-12 championship. Um, if if Oregon gets beat, that could open up some doors uh, for Penn State. I, in my opinion, um, same. You know, you look at Texas and Oklahoma State for the Big Twelve. Georgia, Alabama, um, Georgia, Alabama can sneak them sneak their way into the playoff. I think with a win uh, and make things really tough for the committee. Tulane is at twenty three, so it could end up being a Tulane. Um, or Liberty match or battle for the highest ranked group of five team. Um, and then you've got Michigan and Iowa. Uh, Michigan is a 23 point favorite already. Um, 
What's the over under at? 56? Uh, I wouldn't think that it would be that high. Over under is 35 and a half. What? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we they know that oh, Iowa is incapable of scoring points. So Iowa's going to get shut out. Yeah. Uh, again. And then you've got Louisville and Florida State um, for the ACC championship. If Florida State loses, do they fall out of the top 10? You're in your top 10, absolutely. Oh, dude, they're already out of my top 10. Uh, after that miserable performance, dude, rivalry weekend this weekend was fantastic. Florida State, Florida, absolute game. Uh, Florida probably should have run that, won that game, but it was the battle of the backup quarterbacks. Uh, Florida State did not look good. Neither did Florida. Um, Alabama looked, looked normal. Um, dude, if you're Auburn, how do you give up a fourth and 31? Fourth and, and thirty-one. My favorite is Saban says we practice that all the time. You don't practice that at all. And, and then a uh, little luck. Um, yeah, and they only rushed two, uh, which was crazy. Um, pure Washington, the Apple area. Cup was a good battle. Um, there were just so many good yeah. football games, and a lot of teams that uh, nearly lost that probably should have lost. Um, but the biggest thing for Penn State and is they they handled their business, um, and now. We're going back to one podcast a week um, since, well, football is kind of slowing down for the Nittany Lions. We won't get much access to them really until after finals. Uh, then we'll get James Franklin who will give us and recruiting and, and all that fun stuff and then get ready for the bowl game. That bowl game will be determined December 3rd. We'll figure out whether Penn State goes to a New Year's Six Bowl. I do think that they will solely – I mean, you kind of look at – the way things are at the, in the top 10, um, you know, they, they're 10 in the AP, which is really irrelevant uh, currently um, because the college football poll, the CFP poll is, is what matters the most anymore. Um, but Penn state is a, a team that's going to get ratings. They've got a good fan base. And if you match them up against a Tulane or a Liberty, you're going to want a fan base that's able to fill a stadium. And Penn state does that as you saw, as Joe saw, at Ford Field, that stadium was a lot more blue and white than it was green and white. Uh, yeah, Penn State, Michigan State, filled up Ford Field. That was a cool, cool experience. Um, seeing the Lions end zones still there, um, and the Michigan State logo at uh, midfield was kind of off-putting. Um, Joe, any thoughts yep. on uh, the game? Uh, absolutely. I I think Louisville does beat Florida State. Uh, Saturday, uh, simply because of Jordan Travis not playing, and that wouldn't be great for Penn State. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that they're getting a New Year's Six bid. Um, there you have it. But yes, I, I still th- I'm 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 hoping for the Peach Bowl. It's a far cheaper trip than going to. Um, you know, Arizona or, or wherever they might go. But the fact of the matter is they've got 10 wins and we will be back next week with more to talk about after this election show. We will talk more then for Kevin Quigley and Joe Smeltzer, who has disappeared and is now just a spinning wheel on our recording. Um, we will talk to you all next week on the Lashing Out podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network.